from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. I am Jonathan Small, the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur, and I am very pleased to be joined by another editor-in-chief, the editor-in-chief of the Marijuana Retail Report, who is also a frequent contributor to Green Entrepreneur, Nick Gollin. <laughs> Nick Gollin. Nick Gollin. Yes, sir. <laughs> Nick Gollin <laughs> joins us today. Wonderful Nick, to be here. Yeah, Nick. Nick had the opportunity uh, very recently to interview Burner, who is the CEO Cookies, an MC, uh, one of the more high-profile names in the business. And uh, he very generously is going to share that interview uh, with us in a few minutes. Nick, what what, what can you tell us a little about what uh, Burner has going on, what, what's going on in the world of Burner and Cookies? I mean, what can really be said about Burner, right? I mean, the guy is one of the more prolific people in the cannabis industry, massive uh, multi-state operator, the geneticist uh, extraordinaire behind the Cookies brand, along with his co-founder, who is the grower for the company. Just a phenomenal brand. Their retail operation is excellent. Again, one of the mo- most interesting people in the industry, being that he's one of the celebrities that has actually not just made it in the cannabis industry, but has helped move the entirety of the cannabis industry forward. And not even just in plant touching, his ancillary businesses with Vibes Papers or his new operation with uh, Mycelium with the Cookies Caps line. Just a really interesting guy. And to be able to you know talk to him and share that with you guys is, is obviously my pleasure. That's awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, he's really, he, you know, he's the truth, the, the real deal. I mean, a lot of MCs, rappers, people in the hip hop industry and celebrities in general who get into the business are kind of just like spokespeople for brands. They're not really involved in the business side of it at all. But Burner, I mean, he started, he could cut his teeth at a dispensary. I mean, even before that, you know, in the, in the illicit market, but he learned his trade, you know, in by working in a dispensary up in the Bay Area. And um, he really um, learned a lot and then was able to, you know, learned everything he could learn about branding and realized, right, that branding was all about branding. And he, he made that a reality. And he has crushed it. And I mean, a lot of the people that go into the cookie stores, you know, half of them are buying cannabis and the other half, I mean, he kind of nailed uh, it right on the head with um, him having the ancillary stuff like, you know, his apparel line. Obviously, Cookie's Apparel is being sold at PacSun or Zoomies. It's about as mainstream in terms of apparel as you can get and his ability to penetrate demographics into states that haven't legalized or via medical or recreational yet is just unparalleled. He's a marketing guru. I mean, there's, there's, there's not too much else that you could say about the gentleman. I mean, he's really doing well. Yeah, he's good at it. And by based on the lines outside the cookies store that I have right near me on Melrose here in Los Angeles, uh, he's doing a pretty good job. All right, so without further ado, we bring you Nick's interview with Burner. Hey, how's it going, man? Man, I'm so sorry, bro. I'm super stoned, <laughs> and I was watching YouTube videos with my wife, and then I got the text, you're late, and I'm usually not late to anything, so my, my bad about that, man. Oh, dude, you're all good, all good. When we last talked in June, you know, you were rolling out your uh, Vibes papers to the European market. You were talking about potentially getting into the plant touching space in Spain. 
you were dealing with at the time Cookies Melrose being broken into by the looters during the riots, and you had ordered your guards to kind of famously stand down and explain that on Instagram. You know, 2020 has been kind of crazy for the overall industry, but when it comes to Cookies brand and, and kind of what you're doing in the ancillary space, as well as the cannabis touching space, you know, how would you best sum up uh, 2020 for you? The weirdest growth we've ever experienced. So we, we did really well in 2020. I don't know if it was because people just needed more herb as medicine or people got government aid that they decided to use on, on herb. But we did pretty well in 2020. But it was weird because we weren't able to, I wasn't able to be there for some of the store openings like I always am and haven't been really, really able to code check in on my farms and vibe with our breeders and our growers. So it's been uh, good for us growth wise, but not good for us like morale wise. Like for me, I like to be a part of everything and be around everything and be super hands on. I've had to kind of tuck away. So a lot of Zooms, a lot of phone calls, a lot of conversation, communication, but just not being able to be there in person is kind of sucked for me. So it's been weird growth for us, but we definitely, uh, we did well in 2020. Yeah, and you've definitely expanded your retail footprint. Being that coronavirus or you know COVID-19 has been kind of a industry disruptor throughout 2020, being a prolific retailer, you know, what is some of the things that you have learned as an operator kind of throughout this pandemic? And looking at 2021, what are some things that you are looking to kind of implement in order to build upon what you've learned this year? Well, this year, our whole model, if you go into one of our stores, there's the round table with the jars on the table and you built those jars so people could lift the jar and smell the jar and get that good experience while they're shopping. We like to spend more time with our customers and let them really understand what they're about to buy before they buy it. And we've had to kind of step away from that. People have not been able to pick up the jars, smell the jars, or be as um, interactive with the bud tenders as, as we usually like to. So we've kept people safe, come into our stores, kept their employees safe. But I'm hoping going into 2021 is we can bring back some of that normal vibe where there's not a glass shield between our customers. There's not masks required in the store because how are you going to really smell bud through a mask properly? And you know our customers can return to picking up jars and checking out products. So we've learned how to keep our employees safe and how to keep our businesses open. But at the same time, We'd love to bring back some of those good things that make us us. No, for sure. I mean, it's it's definitely been a uh, a hard time, you know, in the industry, especially with uh, you know events or in store being able to smell different strains. But being as big of an operator as you are, and looking at the you know the differences in different markets, I believe right now you're currently in California, Washington, Oklahoma, Colorado, and I and I believe also Michigan. Looking at the different markets that you're in, are there specific markets that are easier to operate in right now during this time? What are some of the problems and pitfalls that you're having in, say, in different regions of the U.S.? Maybe like finding new brands on the shelf. So typically we are able to go out to states that we're in and meet up with farms and brands and check out their products and secure like really cool farms and brands for our shelf. And we've been relying on face videos and FaceTiming and people in that market outside of myself or our QC guys to tell us what's good or what's not. So we've done the best. Everything has been virtual and I trust I have good people in each market. But as an operator, you know, I wish I could kind of hit the ground and what makes Cookie Store special, not just, you know, not just our bud, but the selection that we decide to carry, you know, we're, we're pretty tapped in with who's hot and who's not. And so what's always kept that authentic was us going to markets and finding people we liked and 
fire that we liked in those markets and making sure we lock them down and get them on shelf. So that's been a little bit of a challenge. Other than that, like I think the easiest market to operate for me right now has been Oklahoma because the guys have just been super proactive and send me videos every day, tell me the way things taste. And just like really being like, we have a group text that's just going crazy every day about different farms that we want to empower and put on the shelf out there. So for me, randomly, I don't know why, but Oklahoma has been the best. And I have to say it's probably because the partners are just super proactive in this group text that we have going. Nice. Now, your your store uh, in Oklahoma, I believe, is in Oklahoma City. When you were originally entering into the Oklahoma market, obviously the licensure is much cheaper than it is here in California. When you were entering into that market, when you were looking at real estate or potential partnership, what is some of the things that you kind of went through on your checklist as must-haves or, or things that you definitely want to avoid? Well, anytime we go into a market, the first thing we have to make sure is that we have a fire cultivator attached to that that project. So we had a really good cultivation partner in Oklahoma. They're growing great weed. I Even a while back before our store opened, I was able to see uh, samples uh, when we were rolling it there on the bus and whatnot. So identifying a good uh, cultivation partner in that market and then identifying a good operation uh, team. So we had a really good uh, operator out there and good foot soldiers out there that can help us find product and do QC in our batches. And so that's kind of like the do's, you know, the don'ts are people that have never ran a business before. People have never ran a dispensary before. We're not just popping up stores with people that have no experience, kind of cherry picking the best operators in each state that have been doing their thing for a while. And that just needed that, that brand and that boost and those good genetics. So that's kind of how we pick our partners. Nice. Now, we've kind of seen a, a shift, obviously, in the last month in terms of what is going to be happening in the cannabis space. Obviously, we have a new president with President-elect Joe Biden. How do you kind of feel that the new administration on the federal level is going to look towards the cannabis industry uh, coming into 2021? I mean, being a guy that's been doing this for 18 years, no, 19, 19 years legally, I don't really have any hope that they're going to make any change. And it seems to always get some kind of progress and just stay where it's at. So I think I just remain you know, in the same space I've been at, that we're operating in a weird gray area where it's legal in our state, but still federally illegal. We still have to be very careful and understand if they decide to flip on any of us for some what reason they can. I hope they do something, but I'm not really sitting here crossing my fingers that they are going to legalize it federally in this administration's first four years. I don't really see that happening. That, and a lot of people feel opposite, but I've just been that guy that's been in this business for so long and 19 years, how many different presidents have been in office in that time. So I don't see them changing it anytime soon. That's just my opinion. Though. No, and you're, you're completely right. I mean, I think that we had a potential of federal decriminalization during Jimmy Carter's administration. People thought that Bill Clinton was going to decriminalize it. People thought that Obama was going to legalize it. People yeah. thought that Donald Trump was going to do an executive order to deschedule it. But we did see some progress this year, right? So, I mean, we saw the Moore Act pass the House. It's kind of not really expected to pass the Senate, especially if the runoff election stays Republican, right? Yeah, and that's why, like, you know, we all got excited about the Moore Act, but then we understand that, look how many people are still sitting in jail for weed. And until that changes, like, there's so much more that has to happen. And I still feel like the conspiracy theory side of me feels like we're guinea pigs and they're trying to figure out how they can monetize it every way possible. So letting people operate in a small capacity to figure out how that goes and how the taxes go. I think there's a lot more things they need to figure out for it legalize it, but no hopes on my end. If it happens, that'd be great. I think that uh, we deserve better taxing in California and we deserve to be able to bank normally and be treated normally. I get I get stereotyped all the time because the business I'm in is fucked up. I'm just a regular business guy, a family guy, and because of the industry I'm in, I get stereotyped 
from banks to loans and all kind of shit. So I would love to see it happen, but not very. I don't really think it's going to anytime soon. Maybe maybe the next presidency. Well, and we could take it back locally. I mean, it's potential that there could be some reform even here in California. Obviously, Lori Ajax officially stepped down from her position late this year. We're looking at a potential streamlining of the three California regulatory bodies coming in 2021 after the delay from coronavirus. Do you potentially see this as being more of a state-by-state thing where we're going to correct it here in California first and then maybe hope federal correction as far as those laws are concerned after the whole two-thirds state's ratification? Or what do you see as... Okay, so you're going to see it as more of a state-to-state thing. Yeah, like what they did in Chicago was really cool how they expunged all the uh, cases and stuff like that. Like each state's going to take their initiative. And as more and more uh, conservative states start to turn, then that's when you're going to see the good old boys be like, okay, the generation of people are still an opposite, just don't understand how beneficial the plant is for people. And they still look at it like, you know, what they're brainwashed to think it is, which is a drug. So until those people are kind of out of our system and there's new like-minded minds that understand what it is in office, it's not going to change. Well, and and that brings a good point as far as Cookies brand being in Oklahoma, for instance. Oklahoma, obviously a deep red state. Do you see as the success of that cannabis market in Oklahoma as being, say, maybe a windfall for its surrounding states like Texas, Arkansas, and the like? Or or do you see that as having any effect at all? No, I don't think Oklahoma has a big effect. I think once you see a Texas, a Virginia, or Atlanta go, then we know we got some hope. That's my opinion. Those are the most conservative areas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Virginia, Atlanta. Once one of those states go, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be game on. Well, you're, you're coming close with uh, with Florida legalizing it just south of the Georgian border for medical use. Obviously, there's talks about Florida going recreational. Do you think that if Florida does go recreational, that that will help make the push for Georgia? I, I know that Atlanta, I believe, is decriminalized at this point. But from a state's perspective, do you think that that would help? Yeah, I think any state that goes rec helps. And I think that Florida is a, a very uh, conservative state as well. So I feel like if it happens, then it's, it's a good look. And I think it will. I think Florida's a little more advanced. But again, once I see Atlanta or uh, Virginia or Carolina or Texas go, I'll feel a lot better. Those are states that just don't fuck around. Well, definitely as soon as they, uh, they legalize it, I'm sure that there'll be a party in those states. Now, you recently stepped into a new space, which is starting to come online, which isn't necessarily cannabis, although it's going to be cannabis adjacent since you're, since you're incorporating CBD. I'm kind of announced caps by cookies uh, earlier this year for the Colorado market. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that and what the future of the cookies brand may be in the psychedelic space? Yeah, I feel like, you know, we're going to ease into it. We could start off with the product that's available in all 50 states, which uses uh, mushroom and uh, CBD, CBG, and CBN blends, which is legal amounts of mushroom, and we can ease into the space like that. But we are, some of our um, employees and some of the guys high up in cookies are very knowledgeable about mushrooms and it being another plant medicine that even though it could be used for recreational use, that it's still a medicine. And so we're doing a lot of research. And uh, as soon as we can start getting into a psychedelic business, we'll have a lot of knowledge we already kind of documented on like what different styles of mushroom uh, work for diff- you know different things. So we're we're doing research, a lot of research on it right now. Plan to be ahead of the game, and we will release products like caps that will kind of ease into that, that situation. What's your timeline on that portion of the brand? 
I think a few weeks. And the cap stuff is really cool because I used it for a year before we decide we really wanted to roll out with it. The nighttime one bedhead is great. I'm not really into like melatonin or any kind of sleeping pills. I don't want to feel groggy when I wake up. The bedheads are perfect for, for sleep and the daytimes are perfect for daytime. We got really special products with those. So a few more weeks and they should be dropping. Nice, nice. Now, looking at the international market real quick, again, when we talked back in June, you had mentioned that you wanted to get into the private club space in Spain. As a retailer that has so much experience here in the United States, have you made the leap into Spain as far as getting things started? Are you still planning on that happening considering, you know, coronavirus still being a thing? What's the cookies outlook for the international market? Yeah, no, some exciting stuff. We opened Spain. Spain's open. It's been doing great. The social club is incredible. We have an incredible team over there. They have a limit to three people at a time that just got lifted. I think it's kind of back to like 25 or something like that. I can't say the exact number, but we did enter Spain. We have a great social club over there. And we got one of the only 10 licenses in Holland to cultivate legally. So that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. We have good friends over there. Shout out to Yoa and um, Aryan at the Greenhouse and Strain Hunters. So we have good uh, good contacts over there. We're going to have really good operations over there. But we are one of the 10 people uh, licensed to cultivate in Holland. So that's huge for our global expansion. And um, I know we have some really good things going on in Israel and uh, Puerto Rico as well. So we're just kind of showing up where, where it makes sense. And looking at the, the Dutch market, obviously, uh, you're talking about Joachim Helm, the CEO for Greenhouse Coffee Shops, and obviously Arjan, the, the king of cannabis in, in the Dutch space. Greenhouse being obviously one of the most prolific coffee shops in, in Holland, and Joa being the president of the coffee shop union, you guys being so prolific with your genetics. I'm surprised that you didn't want to open your own coffee shop out there or partner into one. Is there a particular reason that you went specifically on the on the growth side because i believe that they are going to do complete seed to sale correct correct and if you notice earlier when i talked we don't open a store unless we lock down good cultivation or have a some kind of supply locked in so now that we have this lockdown we're definitely going to open coffee shops and naturally we'll do some things with greenhouse i know they're building a cookies lounge and a a dedicated area in one of their lounges uh coffee shops in Amsterdam. but we have identified a couple of storefronts that we plan on opening up and we'd like to time it with our in-house uh, cultivation. So we make sure we got our own fire on the shelf, you know? Nice. Now, that, that'd that be amazing. Touching on the psychedelic space for, for the Dutch market, obviously over there, they do have psychedelics, uh, magic truffles being underground instead of the actual mushroom that pops up. Are you looking to also expand your Caps brand into, into the European market or is that staying specifically for the, the U.S.? Well, I would love to. There, We have to look at the, uh, the legality and make sure everything makes sense. But I think it makes it makes complete sense to open our first uh, smart shop style mushroom store in uh, Holland where it's tolerated and accepted. That would be really cool. And I think there is some synergy to try to make that happen. Looking at the totality of the, the market in cannabis being multi-state and now international, what is the most exciting market in cannabis for 2021? I like to say... Um, I want to get my hands in Arizona correctly. That's my second home. And, you know, we have some things going on in Arizona, but I'd like to dial them in a little more and put a little more time and energy into that. Uh, I think Arizona is going to be a very big market and uh, have a lot of friends and family there. So I would love to be able to put on for my friends and family out there and bring that fire. Arizona is a big market, in my opinion, for 2021. 
Nice. And they were one of the few markets that still operated on a 215 style up until uh, legalization. Are you hopeful that they'll keep the same style of culture moving into 2021? I mean, obviously, you coming from the 215 days here in California, we kind of reminisced about that during our June interview. Do you think that when they, you know, obviously they, they legalize it this year, but do you think that when it gets fully, fully rolled out, that they're going to keep that same style of culture? Are you ho- uh, hopeful for that? I hope so. And I think that like as things start to normalize, people start to open their minds. Hopefully things can change too, like the regulations in California. I think it takes way too long for product to get on the shelf. I think there's extra amount of policing that no one's even looking over. And they need someone that actually is an operator that understands the plant and the plant shelf life and what consumers are, you know, actually paying so much for. There's got to be ways for them to, you know, have someone with that knowledge help them write the laws that they still allow them to track everything, but not be so goddamn difficult. Uh, for sure. <laughs> well, I, looking at Illinois, that's kind of when they were going to go legal. It seems to be that's kind of a methodology that they used, right? They set up a, a board of people that were already operators. I believe Cresco was one of the main people on that board to kind of help write the laws. Do you hope that that happens in new emerging markets, that they start using a more kind of broad, broad stroke approach by taking operators from the field, both in retail or in manufacturing or on the grow side in order to help write the laws that they are going to be regulated by? I think so. I, I think that only makes the most sense. I think that uh, I encourage more states and more lawmakers, to, law writers to, to reach out to people that know the industry. You know? Um, I think things are pretty complicated in some of these markets. And I mean, just uh, the whole quarantine process. And there's a lot of things that don't make sense in California. So yeah, I think that uh, in each state, they should lean on people that exactly know the process from seed to sale and have them lend their knowledge on what they think makes the most sense for them to to get done what they need to get done, but also make sure that the customer and the producers have the easiest flow and get the best product. And you had also uh, mentioned uh, back in our June interview that uh, you're a massive proponent for social equity and you believe that it is the duty of existing operators to kind of lend their knowledge to emerging social equity applicants. Are you hoping that the social equity aspect of cannabis continues into 2021? And and what are some things that you would like to see some of these emerging markets put into place in order to guarantee the success of these uh, these new oncoming operators? Yeah, I think the most important thing is if you're going to charge us, let's say in California, we pay 30% tax on cannabis, right? I feel like I would like to see 15% of that, at least 15% of it, go to social equity funding where if you're going to get a license, you get a budget to open your store. I think that giving people social equity licenses with no plan moving forward on how to fund that license, open a business when you know how much it costs to build a grow, how much it costs to operate a store. It's almost like setting these people up for failure. So if someone was awarded a social equity license, they should be given some kind of budget to start their business. You know, I, I think that's only fair. And so if we're going to pay such high taxes, I would love to see some of that if not half the taxes, uh, go to giving people budgets and to, so they can actually follow the award that they that they get. You know, you, you can get a license and there's so much you have to do to open a store. It's hard for millionaires to get a store open. So how are you going to take someone from a neighborhood that's been affected by the war on drugs or someone that did time for drugs and, and expect them to be able to raise a bunch of money and it's hard enough to get a job like that anyway. So I would love to see the taxes that we that we pay, the high taxes going towards some kind of budget that is given to social equity applicants so they can start their business. I think that makes the most sense. 
Nice. Now, just to kind of put a nice little bow on everything, now that we're starting to crest into 2021, being a multi-state operator, being international in cannabis, being somebody that now is also in the accessory space with Vibes Papers, what are you most hopeful about in 2021? Banking. I feel like banking needs to get figured out. It did make it so difficult. People with uh, endless capital don't have the problems that we have. Dealing with cash is not easy, and especially with places taking less cash and cash being difficult to have to move around and being a you know security risk. Like I would love to see banking come along for 2021, so we can play do business like everyone else. We already pay a bunch of taxes to the federal government, the state. We've been proven essential business during COVID and provided jobs and good things for the community. So I would love to be able to see us bank in 2021. That would that would be really, really clutch for everyone, I think. Awesome. Berner, CEO, president and founder of Cookies Brands. I really appreciate all your time today, brother. And I wish the best of luck for you in the new year. I appreciate you too. And my apologies again. I, I never miss anything. And uh, I was getting high watching benefits of, pers- <laughs> uh, benefits of persimmons because we have a really nice persimmon tree. And I just picked some and ate it. I'm like, I wonder if this shit has any benefits. And so we're going down the rabbit hole of persimmons and I got the text. I was like, holy <laughs> fuck, dude, I, I slipped. I smoked a big J and uh, it definitely slipped. Out. Oh, my apologies. You're, you're all good, brother, when we all can finally gather again at either Hall of Flowers, Emerald Cup, or one of the other events. You just, you owe me a smoke out. That's all. <laughs> man, I got you. I'll give you some exclusive. We have so many good new flavors coming, man. We have a lot, a lot of new shit in the mix. So I can't wait to get you some. I'm excited. Brother Cookies is one of my favorite brands. Again, Burner, I, I, I love every time I get to talk to you. I appreciate the time that I got, man. And I, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, brother. Right on, man. And again, if for some reason I was too stoned during this, I mean, I literally smoked a Cubano <laughs> A-gram joint. So if things didn't make sense or I was talking around my words, please feel free to reach back out and anything else you need. I'm here. Sure. I'm going to toss it over to, to John, who's the editor-in-chief over at Green Entrepreneur and. uh He'll let me know. I mean, you sounded fine as far as I'm concerned. You answered all my questions, so I'm good. If he wants to re-record, uh, uh, I'll, I'll put that impetus on him. But uh, you're all good with me, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Have a good day. All right. You too, bro. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E. To get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.